Hi, I am Robert M. Price. I'm Dr. Daryl Ray. And- Hi, I'm Karen Lumley Care. Hi, I'm Aaron Roy. Hi, I'm Marissa Alexa McCool. Hi, I'm Jerry DeWitt. Hi, this is David Smalley from Dogma Debate. Hi, this is Dan Barker. Hi, I'm John McComb from The John McComb Show. Hi, I'm Dr. Drance. Hi, I'm Richard Carrier. Hi, I'm Rhonda Tyson. Hi, I'm Seth Andrews. I'm host of The Thinking Atheist. Hey, guys, I'm Kara Santa Maria. Hi, I'm David Fitzgerald. Hi, I'm Brian Keith Dalton. Hi, this is Tom and Cecil from Cognitive Distance, and we took a left of the valley. We did take a left of the valley. And a wrong turn in Albuquerque. And then like, the left of the valley goes right to a glory hole. It's it like, right to a glory hole. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you from 74 BC, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and when someone asks me if I'm seeing someone, I automatically think they're talking about a psychiatrist. (laughs) Joining me as usual is a team that wonders, how would you know if a word is misspelled in the dictionary? Good question. That is a good, Google it. (laughs) She ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon, she'll let us know which one comes first. Nancy. I believe they have proven that the egg comes first. <laughs> and her teacher told her she'd be no good at poetry due to dyslexia, but she made three jugs in one vase, so fuck you, Mr. McPherson. <laughs> that, that is a subtle joke. <laughs> Ladies, welcome back. Good to be back. It certainly is. Yes. Hope every, you had a great week. Every week we're glad to be back. Exactly. Oh, it, was so, it was so nice out this morning. It was so nice and crisp. I know. And the weather like is just great. Clear now. skies yeah. and oh, fall is here. I know. Yeah, Perfect fall, fall day. Who would have thought? It was like all. summer a blink away a, a blink away ago. <laughs> I know. However that <laughs> sentence goes. So today we'll be talking to the boys of the Free Thought Prophet. So that should be really fun. But first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Actually, you know what? Before we even do that, mm-hmm. let's do our mail time. All right, so we got a message from our patron, uh, Freethinker215, supports the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. Hey, gang, gr- good episode. The ladies take over, which I was violently beaten to, <laughs> into submission. Well, it seems like you're fine now. I like, the <laughs> I like the opening sketch, particularly Nancy's concern for the luxury piano over Kevin's injury. <laughs> <laughs> oh, glad he picked up on that one. <laughs> Kirsten did a great job hosting. Thank you very much. I had I relatable. So yeah, I had relatable experience to Kevin's customer with his old employer. Now, if you don't know what this means, it's because you actually have to go behind the scenes look, which is what patron, our patron does. He gets a behind the scenes look. There's a way more in the conversation than you usually have in the usual show. So if you want to know what he's talking about, you have to become a patron, and you can go at Patreon slash LATV for that. Um, I hate it when you're at the workplace and you're confronted with a dilemma of someone who says racist or homophobic slurs. As a driver, when I first started encountering such people, I would ignore it. Now I've reached a point in my life where I won't tolerate it, and I have kicked out, uh, kicked people out of my cab for using the N-word or cursing, uh, cursing at me directly. Wow. Good for you. Mm-hmm. The, at you directly? 
Mm. <laughs> so people are stupid. Fortunately, yeah. I'm virtually my own boss, so I'm able to do this, whereas if you work for someone else, you might not be able to. Absolutely, you're right. It was nice to hear the host and guests talk so openly about mental health and to hear other people not afraid to share their mental health experiences. Well, yeah, we're all a bit mental on this show, so we have <laughs> no problem talking about it. No, that's for sure. Mental illness is a very serious matter, he says. As someone who is also affected by depression and anxiety, it makes me feel more comfortable hearing others talk about it and share their personal stories. Yet, it's still too taboo of a subject for many to discuss openly. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you want to look into our archives, uh, Freethinker there, uh, 215, we have a great little show that we did with John McComb, who is the host of, one of the hosts of the John McComb show right here at uh, CKNW 980. Uh, he was very also open about his bouts with depression, and he actually even got a, uh, a prize. Mm-hmm. He got a, got a radio prize for, for his honesty of, of opening like that. So we actually interviewed him. Maybe we should bring him back one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in a, in a way, it's we're doing a public service. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't mean that in an elite kind of a way, but we're able to do that um, because we are uh, public figures and and uh, we're kind of out there on a lot of different topics. But, you know, we know that if we broach that, it makes it easier for people who have, for one reason or another, not been able to be as yeah. open. I mean, it doesn't mean that, that someone is going to listen to it and say, oh boy, now I can tell everybody I'm bipolar. It just means that no. now yeah. you can feel a little more comfortable yeah. and Maybe be open, you know, to, to different kinds of, that's of a, therapies or options. Or, that's exactly yeah. that's exactly his point. His point yeah. is, like he says, he says people talk openly about oh, arthritis, yeah. cancer, and organ transplant, but not about mental illness. Exactly. Personally, the subject is very dear to my heart, specifically the normalization of treatment. Well, yeah. yeah, because like therapy is a good thing. It Counseling is. is a good thing. Like yeah. talking about your mental health, it's good for your mental health. Yeah. Yes. Um. I think many won't uh, who who don't understand the illness are uh, who don't understand the illness are reluctant to get treatment. Then there are many who would like to get the help but can't afford it. I agree oh. with the host guest comment that overcoming mental health stigma has been a long way, but still has a long way to go. How parents treat their children's mental health is particularly important. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, it I'm is. I'm sure many of us would be better off if our parents had taken a more proactive method when they raised us. God, yes, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why I was uh, delighted to hear that Amy's, uh, the Amy's, are doing such a fine job with the methods they are employing with their kids. Um, it's not a topic that comes up often, but the atheist podcast I listen to. So I'm glad you dedicated so much time you did uh, as you did towards it. Uh, Phil Albertelli of the Week in Doubt and Nathan Dickey of the Leap of Doubt podcast are also very open about mental health and share personal experiences on their shows. Well, maybe we should do a show in cohorts with them yeah, as well. For sure. mm-hmm. I dislike the current state of the behavioral health management program in the system a system in the U.S. Uh, the people who need the most uh, help are the ones who can least afford it, particularly the homeless and the veterans. Mm-hmm. Behavioral health uh, insurance is priced differently than regular health insurance, and medication is virtually unaffordable without insurance. Psychologists and counselors at public health clinics are overwhelmed with patients' loads and can't provide better quality care to each individual person. I'm also a proponent of suicide awareness, medical on mental health I had a close friend uh, end life on their term hmm. um, I want to sincerely thank uh, the host and guests for your honesty and humility in uh, discussing these matters we need people like yourselves to help others overcome the idea that it should 
that it, it should in any way be shameful or inappropriate to talk about it. Howie Mandel once says, we treat our dental health, but we don't even treat our mental health. I like that analogy. Preventative dental care prevents cavities. If people apply the same attention they do to their teeth, to their psychological well-being, they'd have far fewer mental health cavities. I also like the deep dive on self-esteem and learned a lot about specific issues that women face due to society's acceptance of toxic masculinity. Another reason the episode uh, clam bakes a, beat a sausage fest, <laughs> although the duct tape came off a, a few times. <laughs> and most excellent comic book guy Simpson clip as well. <laughs> Thank you so much, Freak Thinker Two One Five. Yeah, and I think on that it's a beautiful note, letter. It yes. is. On that note, with mental health is just, it's important to remember that whatever you are experiencing and whatever you're feeling, even if somebody has in your mind experienced something far worse, that doesn't make yours any less valid. That's quite uh-huh. true. That's quite true. And uh, there's there's nothing wrong with doing a, a, a simple checkup. You know, exactly. because uh, f- frankly, let's face it, uh, I, I don't like to use this word, but let's say, let's say, for example, you have a mental illness. How would you really know? Right. <laughs> how would I know? For I don't like to use the word crazy, but if I was, let's say, crazy, how would I know? I wouldn't know. You so you have to rely on people around you to basically guide you and say, Kev, you might have an issue here. You might have a problem. Well, you, you would know if you were experiencing a lot of discomfort and a lot of hesitation and some of the things that you wanted to do. Yeah, but wouldn't I also do. think and, of it as normal? Pan- I mean, if you're having a panic yeah. attack, you know it. Oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. And yeah. I can speak from experience. Like, if you go, you're like, okay, something's kind of off here. And you go in or, like, you do some research or whatever and you find so- you find it and you're like, oh my god like this is it you get like a diagnosis or whatever it the amount of relief mm-hmm. that you can get because you're realizing you're like i'm not just fucking crazy yeah. like there's yeah. there's a reason for it like it exists I, I i also dislike the idea that you know when you talk about psychiatry and psychology and you go into the the public sphere and the in pop culture especially when you go into comedy they have a tendency to laugh about it a lot and and you know usually you'll have the the classic skit of the guy lies down on the couch to talk to his psychologist oh time's up you gotta move on something it's like i don't care and i th- it's it's funny to laugh but I, I think this is one of those subjects that I don't, i'm not so sure we should be making fun of because i think this this projects into the uh, the psyche of the people that it really is like that. They mm-hmm. don't really care. They're just there to make a buck off you. Uh, they mm-hmm. don't really care about helping your, your your issues. And I think that really does kind of a disservice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes finding a good therapist can be hard. It is, especially oh, it one is. that fits with you and that is like affordable or even free and like that you actually click with. Because if you're not clicking with somebody, it can be hard to open up, no matter how good they are. Like, yeah. I imagine it can be really hard to open up to them. And, yeah, this is where and, we and it is, sometimes it's hard to know what a good therapist really is. What what attributes do they have? Even though you may not get along the first time, you still don't know whether that person mm-hmm. in time may have the insights to be able to be helpful to you. So that's another... It, 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 and how many people are going to go to like six people before they find one that they like that's another barrier and of course well. on top of that being atheists uh, we also have to yeah. be leery about those 
uh, therapist, quote unquote therapist, that will try to push Jesus back on you, right? Mm -hmm. So this is where I guess we, our old friend Dr. Del Rey would come in and chime in and say, no, you need to go to the secular therapy project. And they have a list of therapists that actually do the science and do the work in a secular way and not trying to push Jeebus back on you. Well, that's a, you know, that's an interesting question because if you decide to go to a psychologist and you don't know what their background is and you don't know what methods they employ and you go in and very sincerely ask, are, are, do you have a Christian perspective to your therapy because I'm an atheist? It would be very interesting to see what the response would be would from be. that psychologist, you know. And but I think that's an upfront question that that needs to be asked. What you just said there—that'd be almost like a, a great thing for an investigative journalist to do: yeah. go undercover to all these therapists and say, pose as an atheist, and say, "By the way, I'm an atheist," and see how many of them are actually yeah. trying to push the Jesus message. Well, on I them. guess you know, saying are you what Christian perspective isn't the right. Do you have a religion? component to yeah, your therapy exactly. would be much m much better yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect all right moving on our little chit chat um <laughs> there's a, an article that came out of business insider uh there's a list of 37 richest and happiest countries in the world mm -hmm. and of course canada made the list of course yes. we made the list we came in at number eight mm -hmm. Ooh, indeed. that's pretty damn good yeah who was number one? Oh, oh, oh. Um, um, yes norway was Iceland? it sweden Sweden? Norway was. Oh, it was Norway. I, I remember you sharing that. And I'm like, I'm like oh, fuck, what was it? Um, and of course, this is this is a uh, done on the prosperity index, and it has a hundred variables from the, the think tank uh, Legulum, uh, the Institute of uh, the Legulum Institute. Uh, it works on, of course, the strength of the economy, the natural environment, the per capita GDP, etc., etc., etc. And of course, for our American friends down south, you guys came in at number seventeen. Mm. So. Sorry, guys. Canada is still a better country at this point. Um, I want to talk quickly about some of the events that happened this week uh, in the news. Um, our prime minister was a, a bit under fire because they found a picture of him 20 years ago uh -huh. where he's basically at an uh, Arabian Nights theme party and he's uh, dressed as Aladdin and he donned brown face. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about this? Oh. For me, this is a tempest in a teapot. This is a non-issue. This is 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, aside from Kirsten, who's barely 20 years, <laughs> could you, or me, well, maybe not you, Nancy. Well, yes, you got tons of skeletons in your closet and, you know, <laughs> mostly victims. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but anybody that's got 40 plus years of, of life, could you sincerely think, go back 20 years in your life and not have a moment when you look back today and say, oh, what was I thinking? You know, is this really? Is this? And, and they're making they're making it into a big thing, but I really don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. It, in a way, what is the, um, my mind just went blank again? What is the name of the Minnesota senator that was drummed out because 20 years ago he had the photograph? Al of, Franken. Al Franken. This to me is kind of like Al Franken mm -hmm. in that. Was it wrong? Yeah, it was wrong. But in terms of context, in terms of culture, in terms of how the person lived their life before and after, mm -hmm. it's not such a big deal. If you take people who lived in the South, who were prejudiced, who were 
um, had their thumb on the scale in terms of elections and uh, in terms of Jim Crow and things like this, and it was a part of their pattern, mm-hmm. I'd look at that person a lot differently. So I think I think you're right. It has to be done. You have to look at that person in, in context. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I was having a lot of fights on uh, social media about something like that, and people were coming at me saying, why, why, do you, why do you always bash the conservatives and saying they're, they're, uh, they're supporting the white uh, supremacists when the Justin Trudeau is obviously a racist? I said, well, no. I mean, if you talk to the prime minister today, even if you talk to him 20 years ago, you would never get the impression that the man is a racist. No. He is not racist. No. But if you're talking to his opponent, Andrew Scheer, he's a white supremacist today. Mm-hmm. See, that's mm-hmm. the difference. That's the difference. He said some stupid things 20 years ago, too. Mm-hmm. But he still thinks this way today. Yeah. Exactly. He didn't even change that mentality. Justin, yeah. Justin made a mistake. But you know what? I probably would have made that same mistake 20 years ago. Yeah, and I think one thing like to look at is like not only what they did 20 years ago, like if it was just a one-off thing or if it's repetitive and how are they looking at it now and what is their response to this coming out? Exactly. Are they like, meh, not a big deal? Or are they like, you know, yeah, I did that and I, I don't agree with that now. How are they handling it? I think speaks a lot in absolutely to how they have come because everybody makes mistakes. Everybody grows from them and learns. Yeah. I really don't think this, of course this is an election year, so they're going to try to take advantage of this as much as possible mm-hmm. to try to turn the tables on, 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 on Justin. Um, I don't think, I don't think the Canadian public is really falling for it. I, I haven't detected I mean, I, any no. real uproar. If you're, if you're concerned, oh, they're yeah. up in arms over that. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're completely ignoring the, the white supremacist thing, but they're all open arms over that. Uh, at the same time, they're the same ones that say, oh, we shouldn't invite any Muslims in the country. Yeah, the irony any, is thick. Yeah, if any of our <laughs> listeners have a view on this, uh, please write us a letter and yeah, let us know what you email. think. Yeah, I think this is a fascinating topic and, and worthy of a lot of discussion. So however you fall, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, on... Uh, on opinions on this, we sure would like to hear from you. And of course, uh, did you guys uh, see yesterday there was a huge worldwide uh, climate change uh, protest or strike? Or... I drove right by it in Abbotsford. Did you? Then? I really? certainly did, and I gave them a wave. There was a protest in Abbotsford? It, they, it was in front of City Hall. Really? Oh, wow. There were a bunch of kids. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and there were a ton of kids and signs, and everybody was smiling, and uh, it was a joyous occasion mm-hmm. for them. And of course, uh, the the bigger one here in the country was the one in Montreal. Hmm. And it was actually led by uh, this uh, little uh, Swedish 16-year-old, Greta uh, Thunberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> she was actually in Montreal, leading the whole thing. And she's a powerhouse, that kid. And there was actually, it was estimated there was over 500,000 people wow. in Montreal yep. for that strike. I believe it. Have you? Did you hear her speech? Yes. Oh, my God. I heard the speech, well, not the one in Montreal, but I heard her speech at the UN. Yes. Yeah, I think and, that's the one. Uh, yeah. This apparently represented about 25 to 27% of the population of Montreal. So you think wow. a quarter of the city came mm-hmm. out for this, which is pretty cool. Pretty good for a hoax. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, <laughs> this, this, this Greta um, kid, uh, okay, I, I'm, I love the speech she did at the UN. And, you know, let's, let's try to pull out this speech. Oh. My message is that we'll be watching you. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet 
you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words, and yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Uh, and she basically wags her finger at all of the world. Yeah. You know? and, and, and right off the bat, there's a lot of attacks at her. And that made me angry. There's a lot of con- stupid conspiracies coming out that she's somehow being groomed by Al Gore. And somehow there's Big Green, whatever that means, Big Green funneling money to push an agenda. What kind of agenda is it? Clean the planet? What kind of agenda is that? Oh my God, that's horrible. It is. I know, I know. What, oh God, guess what would happen if we just actually cleaned up our mess and made a better place for us to live? Oh my God, the humanity. Yeah, actually, <laughs> the humanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But the thing is, it also shows the, these ridiculous attacks. They prove one thing. They prove that they cannot argue with the message. They had to attack the messenger. Yep. And they have to attack a 16-year-old girl. This is how desperate they are at this point. When you have to attack a 16-year-old girl because you can't attack on what she's saying because she's right. Yep, she when, she sa- when she says, you know, uh, you do, you, you're doing, uh, you, you, you talk about empty words and econo- uh, eternal economic growth and all you care about is money, she's actually right. She's absolutely right on the whole thing. And you can't help but say, yeah. God damn it, you know? And so at that point, they have to turn to her. They have to find a flaw with her. And well, I mean, the haters have, there's no bottom. Oh, there's they, no bottom. They, they will sink as low as they have to to get the hate out, you know? And if it takes a 16-year-old girl to, to light that spark to get everybody moving, that's wonderful. Mm. It really is. I think so. Yeah. Uh, it, it, so some of the attacks are just absolutely horrible. Uh, I can't th- uh, think of one. Um, for example, uh, remember that loser Dinesh D'Souza, that freaking loser that was caught and put in jail for fraud, uh, and uh, he he basically says uh, he takes a picture of her and she's got her, her hair like uh, uh, braided, right? Mm-hmm. And and he, then he puts pictures of little girls propaganda from the Nazi era. We had little girls <sighs> uh-huh. with their hair braided like that, uh-huh. saying, "Oh, oh the, the left are taking the cues from the Nazis." From the, it's like, are you oh. fucking kidding me? My God, what a moron! But. Like I said, they have to attack her because they cannot attack her message. Yeah. I, I think people of goodwill, and there are still a lot of us, people of goodwill know what's going yeah, on, yeah. and they still support her yeah. because they understand what the big picture is and how important it is. We'll have to keep it. I mean, these are the same kind of people that would attack somebody like Malala Yousafzai, you exactly. know, and say, oh, yeah, she, yeah. maybe yeah. she should have just shut her mouth instead of getting shot in the face, you know? It's like, you're attacking a little girl, man. Well, so, you know, when the Parkland shooting happened, yes, and, that's the, one. and the students came out, there there was a lot of hate directed toward yes. them as well, you know, that they were acting as, as a front for, you know, some, you know, terrible liberal organization or whatever it was, and they persisted, and yeah. they, they have a lot of, st- people like Greta and the kids from Parkland, 
they've got, they are so brave. Yes. As young as they are to be able to stand up to yeah. all of that and say, we're doing this anyway. I've and been the, saying this, this on the show. And the for, parents have to be extremely supportive to, you know, to, to help them through this. I've been saying this on the show for over five years now that we've been doing this. The next generation is the one that's going to save us. It's not going to be the boomers. It's certainly no. not going to be the boomers. Uh, unfortunately, it's, to my great fear, it's not going to be Generation X either. It's, it's not c- mine. Well, it's oh. going to be the millennials and younger. Okay, yeah. a little bit mine. Because they, they have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, they're realizing some people like Greta are saying, you know what? You guys are playing with the planet and you don't care because you got to check out before it happens. But we're not. Exactly. We're we- left with the mess that we have to clean up your fucking mess. Yeah, like I have to deal with this shit. That's right. And basically, she said, she also said in her speech, right? She said, you know, uh, if, if, if you guys fail us on this, we will never forgive you. And rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. Because for too long now, we've been putting the next quarterly profit over the health of the entire planet. And and, uh, and now I know the, the uh, conspiracy theorists and all the climate deniers are coming out in force and yelling at me right now. But for Christ's sake, guys, just look around. When, when was it, like 40% of all insects have disappeared now? Same thing with the animals? We've lost like 60% of them now at this point? Don't tell me this is the sun. Don't tell me this is a natural occurrence. It's not. This is happening way too fast and way too strong for it to be just another phase of the planet. That's yeah. why, it, it's to me, it's doubly and triply and quadruply horrible that the Trump administration oh. is working so hard at rolling back all of the, the legislation and, and, and all the policies mm-hmm. that were headed toward um, assi- assisting us, you know, o- overcome climate change. And so now the next administration, which I'm sure is going to be coming in, they're going to have to start all, not all over again, but they're going to have to, you know, work doubly hard yeah. to to, to uh, cut out what's already been occurring the last three years. Oh, well, because like I said, we'll be talking about Trump for another 40 years after he's gone. Uh, anyway. I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> we'll feel the repercussions of him anyway. Yeah. All right, my dear Nancy, you got a top 10 for us? I do, and it has to do with what we were talking about last week, which I thought was a fabulous discussion. And so I thought I would follow it up a little bit this week with some of the things um, that we, we discussed last week. But these are some more ways where women still aren't equal. Okay. Yeah, so... Uh, bear with me. I know it's kind of a repeat, which we don't, but I thought it w- would be good to extend some of this to include some of the other issues. This is a, a top 10, but this is not in any order because everybody has their own um, issue that they think yes. is important. So this is just the list, and we'll we'll take it from there. Um, number one which, but that I found really interesting, but true when you think about it, is that women pay more for common household items than men do. The pink well, tax. They do. Women pay more for their shampoo. They pay more oh. for their deodorant. Okay. If and if women it used to be when you went to a department store and um, you purchased a skirt or a dress, you women pay more for alterations than men do. Really? Even though the alterations are similar, women end up paying more for the alterations. Well, I never understood why women will pay, like, a, you know, let's say razors, for example. Razors. You know, razors is a good example. The, the women razors, yeah. they're nice, they're cute, they're pink. But, I mean, really? Do you really need that? Why don't you just take one of the regular Gillette guys' razors and works perfectly well, fine for what do. you do. Not everybody buys a little pinky thing. Well, I sure hope not. Yeah. No, but apparently there's enough market for it to happen because if women were actually yeah. going to say, well, I'm just going to buy a regular razor just like a quote-unquote guy razor... 
Yeah. I mean, I was, I just started getting guys razors basically until I found my nice one with the swivel head, which having one hand really Mm -hmm. helps. Is it possible also that uh, doing a bit of uh, devil's advocate here, you say, for example, like things like shampoo. You know, whenever I walk into the store and I buy shampoo, I buy like the cheapest freaking bottle I can find. You know, nothing fancy. But if you're going in there and you're trying to find fragrance of springtime with extra vitamin bubbly and stuff like that. It's all marketing. Oh, yeah. But if you're going for that, then of course you're going to pay more. Yeah. Yeah, and and some women feel that that enhances, you know, the conditioning of their hair and, and so forth, and so the marketers take advantage of it and charge more. And I it's think- like I never understood like people, why people use conditioner. Do you use conditioner? Yeah. I never use conditioner. Why? No. Well, There's it depends no on the it. texture of your hair. Because my hair is so soft afterwards, and it smells like honey. Yeah. Well, see, well, maybe that's it, right? My my hair is very soft too, but it doesn't smell like honey. <laughs> but I've never had the use, the need for a conditioner. Maybe it's, if you get long hair, I guess maybe that's more of a, yeah. an issue. I don't tend to condition my roots. I tend to only condition like the ends, kind of, of my hair, not the actual roots themselves. Okay. Okay. okay so moving, moving along, before we turn into uh, <laughs> a bait. glamour, a glamour, glamour, show, which isn't a bad thing. We might, we might do that. Sometime. We do it all the time. It's part of the charm. <laughs> women make less money than their male counterparts, and black and Hispanic women, the pay gap is even worse. Mm. And we know that women, about 80, Canada and the U.S. are about the same. They make about 85% of what their uh, male counterparts make, and black mm. and Hispanic women have to work about 19 months to make what white men, men do in a No, I, I think I want to I push back a little bit on that, too. Sure. I'm, I'm not saying, you're absolutely right, but... I think for the average person, they have a hard time understanding that because they think of, okay, let's say you're a cashier at Canadian Tire. Mm-hmm. Whether you're male or female, you're going to make the same amount. In some... in some, It's when you get into the yeah. bigger profession. Yes, you're it is. You're the CEO of something or you're a high-paid lawyer or something. I think that's where it happens. In, in some you, cases, used to be that women school teachers made less than men school teachers. Oh, really? Sure, because they felt that women school teachers were married okay. and dedicated, so they didn't need as much money as the men mm. did, even though their educational background was exactly the same. They would give the men more responses, supposedly more responsibilities to justify that. But it, it's not every profession. But you're right. As a young man, it took me a while to understand that because I couldn't, yeah. you know, because I was doing like the retail work job and. The, the, Nimble, simple little job like that, and I thought, you know, I, I would ask my my female colleagues, "Well, you, you're making like, of course, minimum wage, right?" Mm-hmm. And of course, they were making the same pay. So I would say, "Well, what are they talking about?" You know. So once you climb that ladder, go into different so professions. When you, you get into the corporate yeah. ladder. To- no, I know. When I was when I was teaching school as a speech pathologist, I wasn't a, a classroom teacher, but it was it was pretty much the same thing. Then when I went into sales, it was equality mm. because. I was on commission, yes. and the men and I, we all made exactly the same. So I think when you're on commission and you're in sales and things like that, you do tend, you, you do make the same. If, if it turns out that you're not, get away from that company yeah. immediately. I would agree. But that, that is one of the professions where I think there, there is true equality, um, uh, depending on the other, you know, where they, the, the territories that you have yeah, and, and so forth. Yeah. But, the chances of you being equal is great. I'm going to combine um, several of these okay. on this list. Uh, women are underrepresented in government, yes. in the executive suite, in the news media, mm-hmm. and in the tech sector. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And all of those, it's 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 try the the STEM is trying to to help women in science and and um, uh, technology, mm -hmm. trying to get women into those. Yeah. But I think there's still some resistance. Yeah. Women can be smart and they can be yeah. powerful and they can be damn amazing while doing it. It's also one of the things what I kind of like. Although I'm not a huge fan of our prime minister, I kind of like some of the things he did. Which was one of them, of course, was as soon as he got into power, half his cabinet were women all of a sudden. And when they asked him at the time, said, why did you make half your cabinet women when he was elected in 2015? He said, because it's 2015. And that was his answer. That was a perfect answer. Yeah. It's absolutely true. You know? yeah. and there's no need for uh, to be more mostly male in power in this day and age. No, because yeah. it, it gives you a different perspective on things, absolutely. too. Yeah. In, in the U.S., 50% uh, of the women are, 50% uh, of the U.S. population are women, and only 25% of the Senate and 23% of the House mm. is comprised of women. But that's changing. Yes. I think that's changing. But it used to be women having children and not being able to devote their time. But now that babies can come in to the house mm -hmm. um, and there's more daycare available, uh, uh, it's going to be And a the lot working easier. mom is being a lot yeah. more accepted rather than like, <gasps> You're a mom. You have a baby, and you're working. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was. I was in an article. It was. A, I think it was a Swedish parliament or something like that. <laughs> One of the MPs in the Swedish parliament. She's giving a speech, and she's breastfeeding at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> she's giving a speech. I thought, oh, that's awesome. That is like the best thing ever. Oh yeah. my god. There you go in your face. Yeah. But, like, say something. I dare you. Yeah, but daycare for kids. I have a niece who um, is a PhD, and she teaches, and she's in. in lab and she's recently had a, uh, my grandniece which is which is Aww. just wonderful her daycare is close to 2000 a month Ooh. close daycare to 2000 really a month expensive. and there's a waiting list of over 100 and they don't take them before 3 months and they have to audition you and 2, interview you 2000 a month it's yeah, insane close to close to it like yeah. good luck finding a babysitter that's how much you're making if you're living in minimum wage 2000 yeah. a month yeah so, yeah, that is. Yeah. Yeah. So this may be that, you know, she's in a higher income um, uh, sector. So her her daycare is a little higher because of the, the population. They know they can afford it. You know, they're a little more, I hate to use this word, but a little more privileged. Yeah. But even so, I think it's difficult for women because you're out there working for your family and you're spending money for daycare. It's, it's $2,000 a month, that kid better come out of there with a PhD. Plus, you want to make sure you find a, a spot that's good for your kid oh, on top yeah. of that. Like, you don't just want any daycare. No, like, come on, this is your child. Yeah, it's tough. How about raising kids with wolves? The old, the old fashioned thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on, female entrepreneurs receive less funding and investments. I wasn't, I wasn't I was totally aware of that, that one. I'm shocked by that. I'm surprised yeah. by that. Starting for, for women to start her own business is, is more difficult. Um, there are there's a nonprofit organization dedicated to success to the success of, of female entrepreneurs. Only 11% of venture capitalists are women. Huh. Of the existing venture capitalist firms that exist, 71% don't have a single female partner, and only 7% have equal gender representation. Pretty glum. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's an area that needs needs a little shoring up. Um, this is this is so obvious. I think we covered it a tiny bit, but I don't think enough really. Women still shoulder more of the household burden. 
Yes. A man gets up, goes to work, goodbye, honey, I'll see you at 5 o'clock. A woman gets up, gets the kids ready, gets them to mm. school, drives them to school, goes to work, comes home, takes care of the kids, makes the dinner, cleans up, and the guy is sitting there reading the newspaper or looking at TV, saying, well, I think it's time for bed. I put in a hard day. It's like, thanks. Yeah, but thanks. You're still looking at me a lot when you're saying this. Well, <laughs> It's, we're going to have uh, yeah, to. Yeah, like, I'm the only male here right now, and I feel I'm under attack. Then we're going to have to change our seating. <laughs> I'm going to have to, you know, Kirsten and I are going to look at each other. Then I mean, you're going to be left out, buddy. I've kind of figured out that situation because one, no kids, and uh, two, no man no, in the don't. house. Yeah, <laughs> makes it easy. But I, I remember when I was teaching, and in, 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 and this is back in the '50s, '60s, and '70s, and I can't tell you how many men. I mean, how many women would say with a completely straight face, my husband doesn't mind at all if I go to work as long as I'm home to cook dinner. Yeah. And it was like, it, it, it just, it, it hurt me to the quick to hear women say that. As long as my husband, at any rate, you get the point. It's like you're your own person. If you're own, exactly. You don't have to do everything, he says. Yeah. Then the, another added burden for women is that they tend to be, uh, they're victims of human trafficking, mm. which yes. is very difficult, you know, worldwide for women to to overcome, you know, that that kind of uh, uh, predatory behavior. Yes, yes. Um, let's see. Here we get into um, something that, that we brought up a little bit. Retired women are twice as likely as retired men to live in poverty. As a matter of fact, women of all ages are more likely than men to live below the poverty line. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. It it is because, you know, women, you take retired women, and retired women are living on, in the States, they're living on perhaps Social Security and maybe some of the money, the, the pension. When their husband dies, they lose their husband. They lose that income immediately. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they have a little time to adjust. Once someone dies, Social Security cuts that out. That means they do totally without that income, and yet they have the same standard of living and the same bills. And it takes a while that's too. A, for, that's it takes a, little... a while too for life insurance to kick in too. Yeah, yeah that's if a little bit what happened to my grandma. Yeah. Well, you're assuming a lot of people have life insurance, yeah, exactly. and they don't. Yeah. They have savings, but if you have someone who has been in a in a minimum wage paying job mm-hmm. or has not worked for the last 15, 20 years, perhaps their husband was ill, you know, or they, yeah. they kept, you know, they had to have their parents parents living with them mm-hmm. all of those factors so that they are at risk and and have to in, in many cases move to a place yeah. that they can afford it, it becomes fine. very difficult mm-hmm. i'm happy i do have life insurance so i know christina will be taken care of no well, we'll take care of her all right i will come back and <laughs> haunt your ass so hard <laughs> So at any rate, that that's really a problem. It's a problem here in Canada as well mm-hmm. because I don't think with a with a man who has his pension, I don't think a, does a woman inherit a man's pension a hundred percent. I know military pension, yes. I would have to look yeah, into that. Mil, mil, military, yes. I think I think you do actually. Yeah. I think you do. If there's a if they're in a in a job where there's where's a pension, at any rate, they're they're more at risk because in Canada we see more women 
in their 50s and above becoming homeless. This is really becoming a problem in Abbotsford mm. and in the lower mainland. Mm. We see much more of that. So that, that, that's a definite problem. It's one thing we will not let that happen to my grandma. Yeah, no. We no, are not letting good. that happen. That's good. You, if you have good family support and kids, you know. That's, she raised me. Yeah, exactly. I would be a horrible person if I let that happen. You'd never be a horrible person regardless. So that's and, okay, here we go. Women in Hollywood, believe it or not, are not given the same opportunities and pay as men in the same industry, but they do That the I can work. believe. Yeah. Yeah. Behind the scenes, women working uh, in Hollywood make up a small portion of the workforce. So the ratio of men to women is five to one, seven times as many men writing scripts as there are women, and women only account for 11% of directors in Hollywood across all genres. Hmm. Interesting. Except um, for porn. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Except for porn. Yep. That's a whole yeah, that's, that's a whole other that's a whole <laughs> category. That's a whole, yeah. How come you know so much about porn? I'm twenty three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the last one is that despite being as successful as male athletes, women in sports still face yes. gender inequality. So hurrah for the ladies of the soccer team that finally got that, you know, settled in their favor. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's really a question of market, unfortunately, but mm -hmm. it's still unfair. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nancy, for that. That was great. Yeah, no, no, I think that was a good one. And I'm, I'm hoping that... Um, Perhaps we can do another show or two, you know, on on women's issues in the in the future. We've because, done a lot of shows. Yeah, because there are changes and there, are, there there are barriers, but there still are changes, and it's a, it's a good topic. Yeah, mm -hmm. so. perfect, my dear Kirsten. You got another brilliant moment for us? I do. Brought to you by religion. All right, so this one features dinosaurs. Woohoo! Because who doesn't love dinosaurs? Yeah. Uh, so. There's a brand new 90 million year old fossil of an ichthyosaurus okay. now on display in England. And Christina looked it up. It looks kind of like a cross between a dolphin and a salmon. Uh, but the real story is that it could have been on display nearly 170 years ago, if not for religion. Oh, what? So cider brandy maker Julian Temperley says the fossil was a family secret. It had been hidden in his family's garden since he was a child. The kids always uncovered it for fun, but it remained buried. They didn't realize how big of a deal it was. It was only a, f it was only a few years ago, after seeing a TV show with David Attenborough digging up a similar fossil, that Temperley realized he had something even better. He paid to have the relic cleaned by a professional fossil collector, and it's now hanging on the wall of his building. It's also a new the new logo for his 20-year-old cider brandy. But... Why was it buried for so long? Temperley says that his ancestors discovered the fossil around 1850, but they buried it out of fear that it could throw a wrench into the literal interpretation of the book of Genesis. Of course. Because this was before Charles Darwin published Ugh. on the origin of species. But thank goodness they buried it rather than tossing it out. With right? The at, least it, at least it didn't break it or yeah, destroy it, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, you get that point, yeah. So you have to remember that fossils weren't really explained until Darwin came along. Up until then, if you believed in fossils, you were denying the Bible, saying God created day, day one, and so on. Although, also back then, they used to think that a lot of these fossils were dragons. Like, yes. Yeah, so. I mean, you had these big dinosaur bones and big teeth. Of course, it was an easy thing to think it was dragons. And dragons are in the Bible, so it was an easy thing to say. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, goodness gracious. Well, at least, yeah, at least the, the guy saved the fossil. I know. I'm really happy that they didn't destroy it because fossils. But yeah. then you think, how many were? Yes, so many of them were. But it didn't stop the fact that evolution still is a thing. Exactly. One, one of the biggest tragedy of that is uh, World War Two. There were some uh, some um, magnificent fossils in Germany. Why are you looking at me when you say fossils <laughs> in Germany? Oh, the tables table. have turned. <laughs> so, Kirsten, there were some magnificent fossils in Germany. <laughs> Why are you looking and, at Kirsten when you talk about a fossil? She's too young to be a fossil. <laughs> and and uh, unfortunately, during the, the bombing, some of these fossils were lost. And some of them were extremely rare fossils as well. Especially there was a, a fossil of um, a one dinosaur called a Spinosaurus, which uh, had these really, really big spines. It was actually, the animal's actually bigger than a T-Rex. And, 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 and uh, that's all they pretty much had. And it took decades before they found some more of that. So Yeah. Uh, it's it's well, probably one of the biggest crimes, in my in my book anyway, the biggest crimes against humanity is when you destroy a museum like that. Yeah. And it was, you know, like when the pillage of the museum in Baghdad after the invasion, oh, after the I U.S. invasion. Oh, was, I just, yeah, I, I, same I, here. I had yeah. actual tears coming yeah. out. I was like, I can't believe this. It's like precious, precious things just lost to history because of stupid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, on that positive note. Have we ever done a show on dinosaurs? No, but we could do a top ten on dinosaurs. We came close. Who were we talking to when we talked about? <laughs> you said one of our guests was a dinosaur. No, no, no. I know we we've covered we we've we covered... did we did talk to Rachel Nanon Brown, who is an archaeologist, a paleontologist. Yeah, and then um, oh gosh, that was years ago. Yeah, um, we had another guest on that was talking about. Uh, Oh, I can't, I can't, but we, we, we've come close, but yeah. we haven't covered it as a specific topic. Yeah, so anyway, we'll get it done at some yeah. point. All right, so uh, stay with us, and we'll be right back with the guys from the nonprofit. So uh, stay with us. Hi, I'm God, and I just wanted to make sure to tell you not to listen to Unapologetics on Stitcher and SoundCloud. That's Unapologetics with an X at the end. But, uh, yeah, definitely do not listen to the show. I mean, I swear to me, right, I will murder my son. Uh, well, I mean, I kind of already did that, but, uh, don't, just don't listen to the show, okay? Hey, Lucy. Can you not, can you not call me that, okay? We already went over what my name is, okay? It's Lucifer. All right, look, Lucy. Uh, you want to come with me? I'm going to go fuck with this guy, Joe. No, don't, don't do that, okay? Can you just leave him alone? Yeah, I'm gonna kill his family. No, don't, don't do that. I'm gonna give him sores all over his body. Don't, don't, don't do that. That's disgusting. And, uh, I'm gonna kill all of his livestock. You just, know. Oh, stop, stop saying things. Just stop. Yeah, I'm gonna blame the whole thing on you. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go, bud. Remember, don't listen to unapologetics on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Hey, definitely listen to that show. It's awesome. It's really cool. He's really a dick. I heard that. 
What's up, heathens? I'm the Godless Engineer, and it would be great if you could join me on my YouTube channel. Over there, we post videos every day. On Mondays, we normally post a response video of some kind. Tuesdays, we post our daily Bible podcasts that I record with KC. Wednesdays, we read comments. Thursdays and Fridays is conspiracy theory and flat earth stuff. And we have a new segment that runs Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays that is Today I Learned from KC. Hi, y'all. So please join us over on the YouTube channel, Godless Engineer, where we always stand up and use our voice. I've come a long, long way. It was this point of mystery, and in gets invoked God. This, over time, has been described by philosophers as the God of the gaps. If that's where you're going to put your God in this world, then God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. When you're gone for a day, Okay, so our next guests are, are John and Seamus from the Free Thought Prophet. They are snappy dressers and snazzy dancers. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on Left of the Valley. It's great to get a chance to talk with you folks. <laughs> it only took us five tries. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, guys, uh, maybe for our audience that might not be aware of your show and might not know exactly who you are, maybe you'd be so kind to give us a short bio as to who you guys are. Okay, uh, so I'm Seamus. Uh, I started the Free Thought Prophet um, in 2015, I believe, is when it started. Uh, so it originally just started as a meme page um, to kind of have a uh, vehicle for my atheism. Uh, at that time, I was a member of law enforcement, and I was threatened by my sheriff uh, to uh, stop posting memes like that on Facebook. So I decided to make... Uh, this page to kind of be able to do it, you know, without any uh, blowback, and then eventually decided I was gonna uh, create uh, my own podcast. Mm. Uh, and then whenever I did the podcast, about uh, I think it was episode five, uh, I was pretty much already decided I didn't want to do this as a lone uh, wolf, so to speak, and I wanted to add somebody to the show, and it just worked out because uh, I have Irish her heritage, and uh, you know, obviously uh, with the Catholic connection, you know, as I said, the the Pope is. Uh, kind of looked at uh, Ireland as a summer home. So yes. I figured there had to be some sort of resistance there to all this, right? So I reached out to Atheist Ireland. They uh, hooked me up with John Hamill, and uh, it was like kismet. You know, I mean, it was just, uh, hit, you know, it was like talking to somebody that uh, I've known all my life. So uh, we hit it off, uh, you know, excellent, and then uh, messaging right after and uh, asked him to come on the show and uh, – uh, actually do this with me full-time, and uh, he was nice enough to uh, agree. So there we are. How about yourself, John? Uh, yeah, that's about right. We um, we had great fun uh, doing the first interview, and then Seamus was kind of uh, enough to ask me to participate in a few others. Um, uh, we kind of promised each other we would try and drink less whiskey during the podcast. <laughs> Uh, that, that hasn't worked out as planned, I think it's fair to say. Uh, but we've had a lot of fun talking to a bunch of great guests. So, okay, so yes, which um, one of you two out drinks the other? Oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> it's a tough I don't think contest. we've ever 
had that competition yet. I think so. we should. I think you guys should open up that ball right now. Both of you, yeah. and you guys should start drinking right now. <laughs> yeah. You just you just don't want to be the only drunk on the air, do you, Kevin? <laughs> 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 well, although he did promise that uh, one of our come to Ireland that uh, he was going to pay the the bar tab, so I think, oh. he's, oh. I, said, yeah, I think he keeps delaying it because he's going to have to cash in his four hundred one k or something. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, no. Uh, Guinness is on me, and we have a national stereotype to live up to, Shima. So um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll put plenty of cash behind the bar. All right, so I got to ask, as you guys, you have two Irish gentlemen and a fine connoisseur of, of, of poisonous alcohol, what do you guys think about Canadian whiskey? Oof. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've, uh, in my day job, I have a customer in Canada, so I've been to Toronto and Quebec City and Montreal quite a few times. Oh. Um, I enjoy Canadian beer a lot. If I'm honest, I'm not sure I've ever had Canadian whiskey. Really? Mm. Yeah, because we're we're, we're, we're we're trying to we're trying to have this thing with Tom and Cecil of cognitive dissonance, and they really really hate Canadian whiskey, and we're trying to be good ambassadors here, so maybe we can go get the Irish on our side. <laughs> What's uh, I'm thinking? Isn't Crown Royal Canadian? Yes, yes it is. Yes it is. Yeah, sorry, I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's not. Um, there is a, a Canadian. Uh, it's like a blended whiskey. I had uh, actually whenever I did hard time being married. Um, at her wedding, uh, it was the whiskey used and uh, uh, for mixing and stuff. And I remember drinking some of it and think it was good. But I, I apologize. I can't remember the name of it. Hmm. Uh, He's got the was... Canadian thing, right? He's already apologizing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So... <laughs> Fair enough. So, guys, uh, the uh, the uh, the Free Thought Prophet, what is exactly is it? What exactly are you guys trying to do with the show? Uh, well, two things really. Um, one is to have a bunch of fun with ourselves and hopefully well, hey, uh, a bunch of here, fun right? guests. So we've had um, uh, Lawrence Krauss and Sean Carroll, Michael Shermer, uh, a kind of list of people who we were just really keen to talk to. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. And we also engage in, uh, I don't want to call it, uh, if I call it secular campaigning, it sounds a bit uh, grand. But um, yeah, we, we, we do some things around uh, litigating religious discrimination and freedom of thought uh, and freedom of information requests by way of turning up our, uh, our own stories. So... Uh, the last litigation that we did followed the visit of the Pope to Ireland. Uh, so when the Pope came to Ireland, our National Transport Authority gave free transport for anyone going to the Papal Mass. Um, so we arranged a, a Pastafarian uh, ceremony next door to the Papal Mass at the same time. And, uh, yeah, we, we litigated a case of religious discrimination because the Catholics got free transport to go and see the, the magic man with the pointy hat. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was no free transport to come and see the Pastafarian ceremony, which is obviously terrible religious discrimination. <laughs> the brilliant, brilliant programming on your part. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh... Well, yeah, the, the, the fun of it is, what, what, I mean, once um, states uh, and governments legislate and introduce laws um, and rules that discriminate based on religion, they really have to tie themselves in knots in order to justify it. 
Um, so we're, I mean, we've litigated several of those cases, and we, I mean, it's uh, we don't have lots of money to hire lawyers, so it's all um, self-litigated, uh, and we always lose the case. But the the reasons why just become uh, absurd. Um, and the most recent one, um, the barristers on the other side had gone through lots and lots of tweets from different Pastafarian churches around the world and started rhyming off all of these things uh, that they found, like, oh, you believe in a heaven that has a beer volcano or something like that. Uh, and I was saying, no, 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 that's not me. That's some other Pastafarian guy. I don't believe that. Um, and eventually they found a tweet when I had uh, stood beside the Christmas tree in my house with the flying spaghetti monster on top of the Christmas tree and I was wearing a colander in my head. And that's the only thing that they had to link me to the kind of traditional Pastafarian uh, stuff. And th that's what it said in the uh, legal judgment. The, the decision said, uh, no, Mr. Hamill cannot be the victim of religious discrimination because he sometimes wears a colander at home. Uh, and it's, just, it's just absolutely bizarre, you know? Like, if... if um, I mean, the, it, it is the legal situation now in Ireland. If you want to take a case of religious discrimination, the first thing that the judge is going to want to know is, what kind of hats have you been wearing at home? Because if, <laughs> if, if, if you've been wearing an unapproved hat, then you're in big trouble. Um, so the, these are the kind of completely ridiculous things that people have to come up with. Do you, do you think um, that's maybe why they don't take us serious as atheists because we don't have a funny hat? If atheists all uh, start wearing a funny hat, maybe they take us seriously? Well, of course, um, the Pope has a very funny hat, and this is what I explained during uh, the case, but my hat is entirely sober and correct. And uh, I'll take grave offence if anyone wants to uh, criticise the aesthetic qualities of my clerical mil millinery. <laughs> <laughs> so the colander, uh, this is this is a very important question for Pastafarians, obviously. Is it plastic uh, or metal? It's a metal colander. Yes, um, well, he is pure. It, uh, it, it was, <laughs> I should say it was a metal colander. So what we did after this case... Um, because uh, a colander is now officially in Irish law, unapproved headwear, uh, what I did was um, I filled in the holes. So uh, then I took another case and uh, went back to the court and said, well, it's, it's not a colander anymore. Um, it's the same physical uh, utensil, but it is now imperforate. It contains no holes. Therefore, it is not a colander. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, off, off we went arguing again about what's what's a religion and what's not a religion. So, so do you think that those pastafarians that are wearing plastic colanders are you know a victim or basically a, a causing blasphemy? Uh, heathens and heretics. Absolutely, uh, all of them. Schismatics. Bloody splinters they are. Bloody splinters. <laughs> exactly. The Judean People's Front. <laughs> well, you know, I was having this argument on Facebook with a guy. He says, no, no, it's got to be plastic. He says, you can't have plastic because back then, the days of, during the days of pirate, piratry and all that, they didn't have plastic colonies. So it has to be Absolutely. metal. Yeah, you have to stick with tradition. <laughs> so are, are you keeping up with the things that the Satanic Temple is doing here in, in the States at all? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, so Lucian is a... Is a uh, 
uh, he's been on the our podcast several times. He's oh. an incredibly impressive guy. Yeah. Isn't he? Though? Uh, yeah, ex- very well spoken. Extremely urbane and erudite, um, and uh, yeah, uh, hugely impressive what the the Satanic Temple does. Hmm. We finally, in our little corner of the world, have a group that calls itself Friends of the Satanic Temple, which is the group that forms before they can actually become a chapter. So within the next year or so, it's possible that up here close to Vancouver, we will have an actual um, Satanic Temple chapter, which will be very interesting since I think there's only one other in, in Canada. I think that I don't think there's it's two. Wrong, I think, yeah. There may be two. There may be two others. One in Ottawa and one in Nova Scotia. But Ottawa, I think, is the, the yeah, one. That's true. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Nancy's That's already great. sacrificing chickens and stuff like yeah. that. So. <laughs> She's practicing. I, uh, I remember I got the children's book for my kids, and they absolutely loved it. Uh, they thought it was great fun. Uh, <laughs> yes. Although, in, in fairness, it comes with a couple of uh, badges that they can pin on. And my wife drew the line at having the kids walking around town with satanic badges. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I found the uh, the whiskey I was referring to. It's Canadian Club. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Okay. That's a classic. Yeah. That's yeah. A, it's, that's it's usually so. a mixer. Yeah. It's usually a mixer whiskey. Yep. That's exactly what it was. So. Yes. Uh, you, you guys, since one of you is in Ireland and the other one is in the U.S., uh, I, I'm sure your show can't help but do a lot of... Um, um, you guys probably talk about a lot of the differences between the two countries. Now, Ireland has always had the reputation of being pretty hardcore religious, but the U.S. is like one step away from becoming a theocracy half the time. So yep. if between the two of you, which one, do you, which country do you think is actually more religious at this point? Uh, it depends upon what you look like. Uh, look at it. I mean, um, I'd say in a lot of, uh, you know, things that have been passed, uh, thanks to uh, the help John did uh, with Atheist Ireland and uh, got rid of the blasphemy laws. They were uh, ahead of the game on the uh, same-sex marriage, uh, abortion laws. You know, they, they're they moving ahead and we're stepping backwards. Yeah. Although I'll let John explain about the issues with his constitution, though. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we've... Um... I think at the last census, we were 78% Roman Catholic, uh, which is actually a a reasonably substantial drop. So uh, we do have a a very large majority Catholic population Mm -hmm. and a constitution which was um, very heavily inspired, if not written, by the Archbishop in Ireland at the time, a guy called Archbishop McQuaid. so we had uh, an almost total a ban on abortion in the constitution and a big bunch of other provisions um which were explicitly catholic so we um we've had a number of referenda over recent years to start taking these things out um so the first one was gay marriage that was passed by referendum i think four years ago and then two years ago, I think, we took uh, the abortion ban out. Um, so, yes, we're, we're essentially de-Catholicizing our constitution year upon year here in Ireland. And as I've often said to Seamus, um, just as we're getting rid of all of the Catholicism out of Ireland, it seems like the U.S. is adding most of it into their Supreme Court. Mm. Yeah. That's for what, uh, the 
Sorry. The other thing is uh, what uh, that's interesting with the Constitution is in Ireland, and uh, John, you can kind of clear this up if I butcher it, is that uh, there's deity rights. So deity in fact, rights. God has his own rights. Whoa. Yeah. Yes, the, the Constitution says that um, worship is due unto God. Uh, so it, it's in more flowery language than that. I can't remember it verbatim. Uh, but if you look at the plain meaning of what our constitution says about religion, it explicitly uh, says that God is entitled to be worshipped. Um, which, if you if you think about it, as Shema says, that that doesn't give any rights to Irish citizens. That's that speaks to God's right and entitlement to be worshipped. Um, now the. 2,000-year-old Mediterranean carpenter has yet to turn up in the Irish Supreme Court <laughs> to seek these rights, uh, but the, the rights are there for him anyway. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. God is entitled. He's so entitled. He must be a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse <It's>, me. <laughs> sorry, dear. I, I find it fascinating because uh, um, we often do the comparison between our Canadian constitution, which does have an appeal to a deity, and the American Constitution, which is completely secular, yet our country is much more secular than the uh, the United States. Kind of funny how that works. And the funny thing is, the biggest uh, uh, the biggest uh, proponents of religion in our country are not the Catholics. They're obviously the the the, the Protestants, the Anglophones, the, uh, the Anglicans, the Evangelicals, and all that. Because uh, as far as I was raised Catholic, I was. Uh, Roman Catholic as well, and uh, and you know, frankly, most people don't really give too much thought about it uh, back back east anyway. But here, uh, as soon as I move it to the west, it's way way more uh, prevalent. Do, do you mind if I ask you a question about of that? Of course. Um, so in Ireland, one of our uh, big difficulties at the minute is that um, the vast majority of our education system is paid for by the state but controlled mm -hmm. by the church. Mm -hmm. And the example that's always quoted here in Ireland when there's a debate about this on the, on the TV talk shows is Quebec. Um, I think in, in Quebec, uh, historically, a lot of the education system was controlled by the Catholic Church. That's correct. But, but somehow Quebec managed to reform that. Um, is that accurate at least uh, no, no, it's, accurate. it's often yeah. stated in, in Ireland that Quebec should be a model for us in terms of how we reform our education system there is still some remnants of the uh, of the religion in the education system uh, for example when you were in uh, when I was in high school uh, we talk about uh, early 90s here uh, you still had a choice between you could take a religious course it was one of your, your credentials you take a religious course or another one that was called morality so the the, the secular students would go for morality but the vast vast majority of the students would take would still take a, a, a Catholicism, not Catholicism. What's the word I'm looking for? Religion Ca catechism. catechism, right? Catechism. That's it. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's still it's still there. But Quebec has an interesting history with the church. Um, if you if you're a student of history, you understand that you know uh, Quebec for the longest part, uh, the church was always on the side of of whoever had power, as it always does. And the in in the history of the the founding of the province, uh, a priest or a bishop would take a bunch of settlers and go into the middle of the woods somewhere and say, okay, well, this is going to be the community of Saint something. This is why all the the towns in Quebec are all named after saints. And then they would, he would go head back into town, and then you'd have to settle the place and create a city. And so so, so there's always some. And 
animosity in the public's consciousness about the church, you know, the, 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 the love of the God and all that is fine, but at the same time, they don't really trust the church, I don't think, the vast majority of, of the public. Uh, and now Quebec, of course, has gone... 180 on that sense now that they've actually become the uh, the one province in the on the continent uh, including in the United States where actually by law sectoralism is actually enforced now uh, it's kind of controversial it was something very recent that happened where even the state employees cannot wear religious symbolism of any kind they can wear it outside of work hours they can put back their yakamas or their hijab or their cross of star of david or whatever it is they want uh-huh. but during work hours they cannot wear that and it's, it's a lot of people have been writing about this and a lot of atheists have been actually against that i think it's a step in the right direction but anyway that's a whole nother ball game <laughs> hope it answers your question a bit uh, it does indeed yes and uh, it definitely sounds like a model that we should be trying to follow uh, but with a lot of work left to do in ireland yet um and uh, just while we were talking there, I'm embarrassed I didn't know the language off the top of my head, but if anyone's interested, it's Article 44 of the Irish Constitution, mm. and it says, The state acknowledges that the homage of public worship is due unto Almighty God. It shall hold his name in reverence and shall respect and honor him. Mm. That's interesting. Uh, there Thanks. you go. God's rights in the Constitution. Yeah, here in Canada, the like I said, the preamble in our Constitution, there is a preamble that appeals to to the divine. But in 1987, mm. the Supreme Court ruled that Canada would rule as a secular country. So the Supreme Court interfered and basically said, "Oh, and this is when Nancy, you'll remember this is when every shop was closed on Sunday, but then they started opening on Sundays." Was after that ruling in 1987, I believe it was. So that's when, you know, everything became more secular and the Supreme mm-hmm. Court said, basically said, Canada's going to rule as as a secular nation, not as a religious one. So no, I guess it nullifies that preamble to God, I guess, although they never actually took it out of the Constitution itself. Yeah. Interesting. This is, I love these kind of comparisons between our countries. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you have the states, which, you know, they have the kind of like the perfect Constitution in, in a sense. And yet, you know, they're... Almost a theocracy now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big time. What do you do about that? Well, Seamus, what do you do about that, man? <laughs> I just got to keep plugging away, man. I mean, I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, ever since uh, Trump's been in power, uh, you have uh, Mike Pence. And uh, uh, and he's not even – I don't know if you guys have watched the um, the Netflix special, The, the Family. If you no, guys – I, I, I want to watch it. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet, though. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, because this stuff's been going on forever. But, I mean, you consider that, and then you consider that even in, whenever they mentioned this idea of these, uh, this uh, evangelical kind of shadow, I don't want to say shadow government, but, you know, shadow play kind of going on within government, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that whenever they point to Pence, they're like, well, he's an ally. He has his own stuff going on. It's like, wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're talking about, you know, some super evangelicals, and they're like, yeah, he might be a little bit more extreme than us, you know? Yeesh. So we're taking some serious Yeesh. steps back over here. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, wow. <laughs> I got so many yeah. questions about that kind of stuff. Do you feel that sometimes one of the weaknesses the Americans have, uh, not being able to resist something like that from the evangelicals, is the fact they, they seem to have, they're born with a, a, a natural distrust of their own government? I mean, it's in your history, obviously. And a lot of countries are basically going to turn around and say, well, the why don't you trust the government? The government is the people, is it not? But the Americans, right off the bat, they seem to not trust the government, whoever is in power. It doesn't matter who is in power. Do you think that maybe that distrust kind of 
hinders Americans from being able to step up to the plate and say, no, we don't want our government to do this? Um, yeah, no. Uh, I mean, with as far as the evangelicals, though, I mean, uh, they constantly shift the goalpost without, you know, shrugging shoulders. That's true. I mean, look, look at Trump. I, I mean, they're adopting a guy who uh, doesn't uh, fall into any checkboxes as far as uh, what the evangelicals, quote, believe, mm. right, or should uh, consider um, – know some sort of uh, moral character i mean got a guy that's been married three times has five kids uh and you know some of those were out of well, i think one was out of wedlock if i'm not mistaken and then uh, he cheated on every wife i mean you could go down the list with all the, mm-hmm. the so-called sins of uh of donald trump um but and then even the idea of going against government should be also against the code. I mean, didn't Jesus uh, kind of hint that you know whatever Caesar says, you're supposed to listen to your government? Right on to Caesar. I don't, I don't know whether yeah. it's I don't know whether it's more of a distrust of government or the overpowering uh, desire to change the government into a theocracy, and yeah. they are willing to accept Trump or anyone. They'll just turn a blind eye to anybody who is corrupt in order to achieve that goal and that's you know exactly Seamus what you were saying is that the, the goal poles the goal poles at this point are on wheels and it makes it a, yeah. makes it a lot easier. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying I'm just this is just my hypothesis it's only worth that sure. much I'm just saying that you know the inherent distrust that the average American has towards their own government fosters apathy and by fostering apathy, they don't participate in the democracy. They don't participate in the democracy. It creates that void that the evangelicals are exploiting. That's just what I'm trying to point to, to come to. I'm just saying if governments were actually more proactive and more involved in their own politics, maybe the evangelicals wouldn't have the power they have now. Well, democracy is so messy, you know. No, that's true. It's part of it. Yeah. And, and and you're right, it, it, using those terms, you know, to define distrust of government, you know, there there's a there's a validity there for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I was listening uh, last night to a pundit that said, you know, one of the things we have to do in, in, to get rid of Trump is to thoroughly understand how he got here in the first place, yeah. what the forces were and what the electoral uh, errors were that allowed him to to come forward and, and take over and then have his enablers. So that's one of the things, you know, in terms of reaching out, government has a long way to go <coughs> to, to reform, but we're kind of weighting this against poor John, who's sitting there having to listen to <laughs> listen to us beat Trump over the head uh, again. So. Oh no, he yeah. he has a, he has a very uh, large interest in Trump. I think he knows more about the the situation than I do. Quite frankly, uh, this is a, he's been uh, a constant back and forth between me and him yeah. uh, talking on Twitter and stuff. So well, he's he probably knows more about the situation than I even do. Well, yeah, that's uh, what's interesting. Well, it was uh, it was a happy coincidence that uh, just as House of Cards finished, CNN got better than House of Cards <laughs> uh, so uh, I started following it for that reason um, in fairness now Seamus has been right more than me so uh, uh, was it a year ago Seamus we kind of had a friendly bet on whether Trump would see out his term mm. and uh, 
I didn't think he would make it, and you did. So, yep. uh, yeah, it looks like you're doing better than me. Well, uh, hold that on. Bo- that bit that still of whiskey there. is yet to come here, though. So. Uh, yeah, yes. well, that that, that bit <laughs> is still going, right? I mean, uh, now they're talking oh, about yeah, impeaching yeah. him, right? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, John, that's that's what's really funny, because up here in Canada, the, you'd think that this was like the 51st state, because people in Canada are totally in on what's going on oh, every minute of the day. You can talk to a Canadian who understands what's going on in the U.S. more than the average than, American. Than, than the average American. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, well maybe I'll ask, I'll ask that, John, that question to John. John, uh, it's obvious here that uh, up here in Canada, we are influenced a lot by what goes on in the States. And the uh, evangelicals have also a tendency to um, import American tactics even into our own politics. I was reading an article, for example, uh, that uh, one of the... Uh, uh, one of the quote-unquote prophets is now saying that one of our politicians is actually the reincarnation of Jehu, which is an ancient king who seized power after leading a bloody revolt after the evil Queen Jezebel. You know, the same way they said Donald Trump was probably a reincarnation of the next King David. Now one of our politicians apparently is a reincarnation as well. No, I'm just no, wondering, no. maybe John has had that kind of nonsense happen in his, in his country as well. Uh, no, no, uh, if you wouldn't mind repeating it, that would be great, thanks. Okay, what, what do you think about sex and furniture? No, that's not it, sorry. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that, you know, in the States, for example, a lot of the evangelical quote-unquote prophets will say something like Donald Trump is a new version of King David. And even up here in Canada, we're feeling the influence because now they're saying one of our politicians, apparently, the reincarnation of Jehu, another, another ancient king, of some kind. I'm just wondering if Ireland has faced that kind of um, nonsense as well. Uh, yeah, so we, we, we do have, uh, well, as I call them, the Catholic Taliban, uh, fundamentalist Catholics. Um, so uh, quite recently, actually, on the main evening talk show or, or kind of version of the late show or something like that, mm-hmm. um, we had a Catholic priest on who's part of a new crack team of exorcists set up by <laughs> the Bishop of Waterford, who's especially concerned that Reggae is calling, causing a rise in demonic possessions. Reggae? Uh, uh, Reggae is causing a, a rise in demonic <laughs> possession in Ireland, apparently. I thought it was uh, country music. So, uh, yeah, some of that stuff's uh, bizarre. <laughs> uh, the, the other... Um, <clears throat> that made me wonder was um, you folks are possibly familiar with the whole idea of indulgences and uh, getting early time off purgatory mm-hmm. uh, so there was um, an event not too long ago when the Pope opened a holy door in the Vatican and offered an indulgence for anyone who would go to the Vatican and walk through the holy door really? essentially this gives you time off purgatory Um <laughs> And one of the bishops here in Ireland built his own holy door oh, no. and offered, offered people time off purgatory, uh, a plenary indulgence if they would come and walk through his magic door. And I remember there was something in the news where he was blessing the magic door. I thought this is this is just crazy. Like even even if you believe this this dude has built a magic door why is he throwing magic water on it like is it not magic enough uh, but some somehow the act of throwing magic water on the magic door was on you know the main evening news and it's bizarre yeah, and I always wondered, like, with these situations, what's the math involved? I mean, yes. if you walk through the door... How much water do you need? Beer, 
Yeah, and, and does it take a year off? Is it one-time use only? Yeah, and, and like, what if you didn't like your grandma or your aunt? What if you're really pissed at them? You're like, fuck them, I want to give them more time. Do I walk back through and add time to them? I mean, this is all very funny, but... Jehovah's uh, Witnesses are lining up with that door. In all seriousness, I once had a conversation with a Roman Catholic theologian uh, in which I had this discussion about purgatory and indulgences uh, and this is an intelligent man and I was saying look you can't possibly believe this gibberish um, and he was telling me no 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 uh, the church has reformed the teaching on plenary indulgences and purgatory and the new teaching is that the church no longer gives indulgences that are measured in days and the reason for that is once they realize that, um, you know, the solar system is heliocentric and a day is a function of how fast the Earth spins, <laughs> and then they realized if they give indulgences that are measured in days, that implies purgatory is on a planet that spins at the same speed as there Earth. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the, this is like this is an otherwise intelligent man explaining this to me proudly as um, oh a, a modernization of the teaching about purgatory that they no longer measure indulgences in days because obviously it would be silly if purgatory was on a planet that spun at the same speed as Earth. But the rest of it is entirely sensible. Well, maybe the Mormons have something. They don't want to go to Colab, right? On the planet Colab. Yeah, so yeah, maybe Colab's got the well, same well, kind of I, I detect a really good marketing idea here. If the Catholic Church would sell the magic, you, you, you could buy... You know, like Ikea, you buy the magic door and you can put it up in your home. But, and then an accessory is that you could you could buy holy water. So the kit would come with, you know, all the things to make your Call door. Peter Paul. Plus, plus the, the, the little, holy water. The, plus the holy water, which, of course, you have to buy on a regular basis because that's the way con men work. Yeah. But I think that I think we, we could get into that really easily. Don't don't you? Because who wouldn't want to have their own because sometimes it's too difficult to get out. You can have a sprinkler out. on your door. Yeah, yeah. It's too, sometimes it's too difficult to get out and go you, to you church. You could be blessed by reverse osmosis. You could, exactly. I think it'd be great. I, I really think we're missing a huge market at this point. You know, before it disappears entirely, I, I think we ought to get get some wood and start building. Was it last week there was an article in the paper that uh, the, the uh, it was a bishop in Russia decided to buy plane to sprinkle holy water by plane because people are oh, too drunk yes, in I Russia. Oh, that. that was yeah. fantastic. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the first time it's people have fair. tried that by plane either. No, but I mean, so, so if you've been sprinkled by holy water to be less drunk, but if you only get like three drops of water, does that mean you only you only you don't want less three drinks less? Oh no, the more if we're going to sell holy water on this, the more the better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We could do a water park. If, uh, if, uh, <laughs> As, as that priest was flying over the town throwing the holy water out, if he wasn't playing Ride of the Valkyries out the window, he was a trick. Five points for that. <laughs> oh, John, oh. I think I've found a kindred spirit here. <laughs> yes, we oh, have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Yeah, what, what does he say? Uh, something about, uh, you know, why well, I love that smell. That smell in the morning of transubstantiation. It's not like victory. 
<laughs> I love the smell of transubstantiation in the morning. <laughs> uh, that was the other conversation we had, wasn't it, John? With uh, oh, I know he, I know he was your former clergy uh, talking oh, about the wafers. Yes, Father Joe, Father yeah. Joe, nice guy. <laughs> yeah, with uh, those certain like if I guess uh, he made a claim which we were both kind of skeptical on that uh, he would go after service to pick up the pieces of the wafers if somebody didn't eat them because you know you wouldn't want Jesus's body to like go to waste as a sin or something yeah of course so he would That's eat right. so he, he would was, eat them up there uh, he was commenting on the secularization of Ireland and that kids making the union weren't used to be because every time he has a first communion group coming in uh when they all leave the church he notices that lots of the kids have come back to their seat and spat out the wafer uh, <laughs> so he uh, r- rather than leave the body of christ sitting on the ground he has to go around and eat it all <laughs> <laughs> dude told us it's like you know um uh, i don't know it's, just, it's crazy how many wafers do you eat Amen. before you've eaten one a whole jesus yeah, and and don't they have to leave out the naughty bits? I mean, fucking okay. I mean, I'm just saying. Hey, Jesus is cock today. Oh, yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, this oh. conversation is not going in the direction I was planning. Premium points for blasphemy today. <laughs> Oh, gentlemen. All right. Yeah, I had, oh, I had, there was a miracle. I ate a wafer and suddenly I felt something in my mouth. Oh, it's a pube. It's a miracle. I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, I've been touched by Jesus. <laughs> Remember that old joke I used to make saying, uh, you know, I stopped going to church when the priest first came out. He says, okay, this is this is the bread. This is the body of Jesus. And then uh-huh. this this is the wine. This is, this is the blood of Jesus. Then he pulled out a jar of mayonnaise. And I said, no, that's mm-hmm. it. What I'm doing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, quick question. Uh, on your show, uh, if you could bring on a guest, or maybe you had a favorite guest, uh, or you could bring on anybody you want to, who would you like to bring? Oh my! Um, f- favorite guest is a good one. I have to mention uh, the late great Richard Sipe because oh, um, he is uh, he has sadly left us. But mm. um, anyone who's familiar with the movie Spotlight, um, he was the uh, Richard Sipe was the church's own expert on um, sexual abuse who treated a lot of the priests. So he was a uh, a heroic whistleblower uh, on that front and he was absolutely fantastic fun when we had him on fantastic mm. fun uh man uh the episode with michael Shermer was really good i mean yep. it's just a good episode and he was a great guest but i gotta say robert price just because yeah. every time we talk with him it's just a fantastic good time it's just we always laugh our asses off and uh learn a lot and uh there's probably about a we he always leaves us with more questions to ask because he's just He's just a fountain of just, he absolutely you know, is. stuff. He's actually he's actually the most downloaded show that we actually have on our, on our podcast is the one with Robert Price. We only had him once. He's hard to get sometimes. We'd like to bring him. Oh, in. he's a great guy. So if you could bring anybody you'd like to, who would I be? Oof. Oof. Uh, I mean, wow. besides, besides us, good question. Um, alive or dead? Because uh, dead, I'd obviously like either Hitchens or George Carlin. Oh, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, alive, 
Uh, you know what? Uh, Ricky Gervais. I think oh, he'd be oh, yeah. Yeah. good choice. Good choice. Yeah, that'd yeah be what fun. about you, John? Uh, well, I'm reading some artificial intelligence books at the minute, oh, so wow. I would like to have on uh, the AlphaGo AI uh, or feeling that the robot from Ex Machina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be an interesting show for sure. You might not survive uh-huh. it. <laughs> so, guys, when you're looking at the state the state of atheism in your respective countries, do you think it's on the rise? Do you think it's on the decline? Or are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? Uh, yes, actually, this is a, a kind of personal bugbear of mine. And um, so, atheism for sure is on the rise in Ireland. And what often annoys me when this story is written is that it's always attributed to the abuse scandals in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think that's nonsense. Um, I mean, apart from there being no evidence of it, I think it's just illogical. I mean, if you really believed in an invisible sky carpenter, I mean, why would you stop believing because your local bishop behaved badly? Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but when, when when I talk to lots of atheists, as I do in Ireland, I think what drives it um, is just access to information. Um, yeah. So it, when, it, when I talk to my parents, uh, when they were young uh, and they went to Mass, the, the Mass was still in Latin and the priest had his back to the congregation. Yes. And if you if you went and asked the priest a question about some area of doctrine that you thought was silly, you know, if you went and asked about indulgences or purgatory or transubstantiation, you would get a word salad of sophistry and dissembling. And what are you going to do? You know, you're not going to go to the Vatican and... Um, fish out uh, all of the documents on Mm -hmm. catechism and everything else but now everyone has the internet in their pocket so you know when the when the bishop goes on the tv to explain that reggae is causing demonic possession uh, (laughs) people can readily discover that that's bollocks Uh, so yeah I, i think kids just have much more access to information now and um they're most, much more opening to questioning authority. So just because the strange man in black says something in class doesn't mean it's necessarily true. And I think that's what's driving it much more than the abuse scandals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about you, Seamus? Um, so I think the other issue, and I think this is uh, also uh, probably an issue in Ireland as well, is sometimes the, the polling uh, whenever this kind of census is done uh, because more than often you have the cultural Christian or their cultural Catholic, right? Uh, you know, you just have people that identify as a Christian because they just, you know, just go with the flow kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and talking to John, I mean, you know, the often thing is that, you know, a lot of people identify as Catholic over there just because that's what they expect. You know, they go to, to, to yeah, services and mass, but they don't really believe it. Yeah. Right. So you have that issue, you know, and I think we're also losing numbers on that. Uh, the other thing is whenever it's usually presented uh, in the media, there's also this kind of sense of panic uh, about uh, – definitely is depending upon the outlet, but uh, you have this uh, kind of um, 
response from the uh, the uh, evangelicals, this kind of like a death rattle, the, you know, the world's coming into the end. And, you know, that's why all of this uh, judgment and hurricanes and stuff is coming because there's more nuns than knots, you know. So it's kind of it's kind of a little bit of madness. But uh, I, I definitely think that the, the numbers themselves may be higher uh, than than reporting, and again, it's uh, it's technology. It's the internet. It's mm-hmm. destroying, uh, it's destroying the myth that uh, you couldn't otherwise do without knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, perfect. You guys might not know this, but uh, Nancy, uh, speaking of reggae, Nancy used to uh, cultivate mm-hmm. the weed for Bob Marley. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she's the one that shot the deputy. (laughs) Amongst many things. I've done everything. I've been here since the beginning of time. So anything that you want to praise me for or blame me for, go at it. I've had it all. Yeah, okay. John Seamus, thank you so much for being on the show today. But uh, the mic is all yours. Be shameless. Go ahead and plug yourself. If people want to find out more about your wacky adventures, where can they find you? Uh, So uh, we have our own... uh, website thefreethoughtprofit.com uh, we also have a website through uh, Podbeam that hosts a lot of our uh, audio uh, podcasts which is also available on iTunes and of course we're on uh, YouTube Facebook, uh, Twitter we're separate but equal uh, you have uh, John Hamill at John Hamill 151 and myself Seamus at the FT Profit. Excellent before I let you go gentlemen I gotta have you say hi this is Seamus and John of the Free Thought Profit and we took a left of the valley Hi, this is Seamus and John from the Free Thought Prophet, and we took a left at the valley. That works. And that was Seamus and John, Eddie. That was a lot of fun. Free Thought Prophets. Yeah. I don't understand why I'm having such a hard time saying Free Thought Prophets. (laughs) You got through it on the last last one for them. Yeah, but still, it's it's not hard to say. I, I don't know. I'm just stupid today, apparently. Nah. <laughs> no more than any other day. <laughs> it's a nice day out. It's okay. Exactly. Yeah. They, were just, they were just terrific. They guests. were. A lot of fun. A lot of fun, and we'll sure yeah. look forward to having them again. Check them out, and I'm pretty sure that it's totally worth a look. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, and thank you for John and Seamus for joining us, and thank you for listening. You can follow us at leftofvalley.com, you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. Um... Where am I missing here? Um, <laughs> give us a five-star review where you find us. You find helps us and helps others find the show. Uh, what else am I missing here? I feel like I'm missing something. No, write us, write us a lever, letter. Yeah, right. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so you can send us an email at left at uh, left yeah, at, at outlook.com. Yeah, if there's a topic that you think uh, would be would be a good one, let yeah. us know that too. Or a, sure. a top ten. Yeah, this yeah. is running out of top tens. So if you want to help with the top ten, by all means, send us Please, a message. Please. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Coming up. We'll have a uh, Skeptic's Guide to Conspiracy with Mike Bowler coming up. We'll have Ask an Atheist uh, with uh, Sam Mulvey. We'll get the guys from The Godless Revolution with Dan Ellis. And, of course, we'll have also our Halloween special coming up at the end of October. Uh, We'll also have, in November, we'll be talking to Bimilzebub. We'll talk about the Horror Houses. How the Christians are trying to lure Mm -hmm. kids using Horror Houses, right? Mm -hmm. Right after Halloween. After that, of course, we have our old friend David Fitzgerald that's yes. coming back. And we'll also have Jeff Cohen from FAIR talk about uh, uh, non-bias in the press. And we'll have the brazen atheist Aaron Lewis. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. And uh, that's pretty much what I'm getting at this point. 
Sounds terrific. So all the way, almost into December at that point. Oh, I don't, please. Yeah. Not cold weather, no. <laughs> My birthday is coming up so fast, I'm going to blink and it's going to be there. When's your yeah. birthday again? December 3rd. Well, same as my mother. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's a point against you. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> All right. Moving on from that, you guys should go and read Shatter War. I just picked up my copy, and I can't wait to yes. get into it. I'm sure we'll be talking about that when David Fischel comes back on the show as well. Well, if I'm here, then yes, because I probably won't be able to shut up about it. <laughs> Thank you so much, ladies. Until next time. Well, our next guests are a Seamus and John from the Unfree... <laughs> Say it again, Kirsten. The Free Thought Prophet. Thank you. There's Snappy Dress. Snappy Dressers and Snappy... Oh. Kevin, you've got to Snappy stop Dressers and Snazzy Dancers. You know what? I, I'm crashed at. I'm just going to take it again from the top. We are professionals. I swear we are. I swear we're Future professionals. Future Kevin edit this. Future Kevin edit this. Future Kevin edit this. <laughs> Oh, free non-profit. Free thought profit. Deep, deep breath. Free thought profit. Put the bottle down. Deep breath. You gonna be okay there, Kev? It's the joint. It's the smoke. Are you guys still with us? Yeah, I think they hung up. Yeah, we're still here. They're just looking at each other and saying, oh, that's, God, that's what have we done? Sense. What have we done? Wait a minute, I didn't hear you hanging up. Stay, stay with us, it gets worse. It's okay. It gets worse. All right. Okay, that's take two, take two. All right, our next... <laughs> 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 you're doing the work. skeptic and non-believer, and if 